Welcome back to the SBS Sports Talk Show presented by the Sports Business Society at UVA. I'm Michael Rockless along with my co-host Nick O'Connor. We have a special guest Spencer Haynes along with our producer who is back, Will Harden. Tonight we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs with the first round just about wrapping up and then we're going to dive into the NFL draft which is tonight. Make sure you listen to this at 1.5 times speed. Hit it! All right, Spencer, it's great to have you back. We thought it would be an ideal time to bring you on as you're a big-time NBA guy, big-time college football guy, Mm -hmm. so you have some expertise in these fields. Um, So with the first round wrapping up, we know so far that the Pelicans have advanced, the Warriors have advanced, and the Philadelphia 76ers have advanced, and the other series look relatively predictable with uh, who's going to make it through uh, all the home teams, except for Utah, looks like they'll beat OKC. Mm -hmm. So what have been your big first impressions of this this first round of the NBA playoffs, and then we'll get into looking forward into the second round and beyond. Yeah, I mean, you said it, Mike. Big first impression for me is the Pelicans sweeping the Blazers, especially without Boogie. Um, you know, Boogie goes down and the Pelicans are actually playing better team basketball. Anthony Davis kind of comes off to me as one of these guys who plays better when he has more responsibility on his shoulders. I mean, he's definitely stepped up and elevated his game and elevated the game of his teammates around. I mean, Drew Holiday, incredible first round. Miritich is getting buckets. So it's going to, I mean, AD, KD. Next round, I mean, that's yeah. going to be must-see TV. Yeah, so um, I guess we'll, we'll stick with that um, as uh, before we get into some of these other series. So we do sure. know, the one matchup we do know that's going to happen is the Pelicans and the Warriors. Uh, being in a w- Warriors aficionado as you are, any yeah. chance the Pelicans push them to the brink here? I don't think the Pelicans push them to the brink even without Steph. I do think the Pelicans will be competitive, so the games will be worth watching. They'll be close games. I mean, I'd expect you know, multiple single-digit games, games that will be not decided going into the fourth quarter, which is what you want as a basketball fan to see those kind of games. I mean, don't be surprised if AD has a big game and carries the Pelicans to a, you know, home victory. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, You know, especially to Pelicans, at least their star player, Anthony Davis, Mm -hmm. is a young guy. It's always nice to see uh, guys like that grow, you know, into into their role and into that superstar, you know, and maybe, you know, as the years go on, keep pushing further and further into the playoffs. Um, so let's also talk about the other team that we know that has advanced, um, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. Nick, we'll go to you. They wrapped up their series with Miami on Tuesday night. What were your thoughts about them? Obviously, they're pretty big favorites going in, um, but, you know, playing well, and, and they look like, you know, at this point, they might be the favorite in the East. Yeah, no, I think definitely some, some concerns in the beginning of the series without Embiid. Um, it, you know, they're definitely, you know, we're lacking his presence just offensively and defensively. Now that they have him back, now that they're playing well as a team, um, I think they're just an unstoppable force. I mean, they have so much talent, um, so many good role players. Um, and I think that's the matchup you're going to see, um, in Eastern Conference Finals. Is them against Cleveland. I think Cleveland probably, I think the Raptors, um, most likely didn't get through, uh, through the Wizards. Um, although it's still a close series, and if they do end up playing the Cavaliers, I think that's going to be a very, very close series. Definitely go to seven, um, at least six. Um, I just think that the Raptors can create a lot of offensive matchups that are in their favor. Um, DeRozan, Lowry, Serge Ibaka, some of the spots that the Cavs um, are a little bit weak on. Um, but again, again, on the offensive floor, the Cavaliers, no one can stop LeBron in my mind. Um, so I think that's the Eastern Conference Finals uh, matchup is them versus the 76ers. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the matchup we haven't touched upon um, in the Eastern Conference, the Bucks and the Celtics. Obviously, the Bucks winning those two games at home um, and the Celtics being able to hold on and win game five to go up 
up three to two. Any chance either of those teams are able to get through the Sixers, Spencer? You have any? You think either of those teams can make it through? Through the Sixers, I think very doubtful. I mean, I mean, without Irving or Hayward, you're really going to need a guy, especially as you go further in the playoffs, a guy who can get you a bucket late. Um, as well as Tatum and Brown have played to this point, I'm going to really have to see more out of them. You know, going forward, finishing off the Bucks, um, and then I just don't think they have enough talent. Boston, and then I don't think Giannis has enough help, really. For yeah, yeah, I agree. I, and the other thing with Philly, too, is Embiid obviously came back in Game 3 against the Heat, and they won, um, what, the last three games that he played. Uh, but, you know, he wasn't playing fantastically well. His defensive presence was obviously felt, but a lot of turnovers, a lot of missed shots. So, you know, the, the guy missed, you know, several weeks up or up to a month there with that injury. Um, so maybe, you know, as we see him get back into his rhythm, that, that will make the Sixers even more formidable um, as we move forward. Yeah, there could be some concerns, though, in the second round as Boston will have the home court advantage. And the coaching. Um, and the and coaching. The significant big. coaching advantage. I mean, I think Brad Stevens has proven in the past. Spolstra's good, but, Spolstra's but good, he but didn't yeah. have – I mean, what, did the Celtics have talent better than the Heat, though? That's kind of a big – I mean, Spolster's a great coach, yeah. too, and he tried, and he got him pretty far, but... I think Brad Stevens' system can do a lot with a little mm-hmm. um, in terms of talent level, um, and that's already been proven. He's proven that last year. Um, just with not that great of a team, can be able to um, beat very talented teams. Um, so I think um, Brad Stevens will at least get a couple games, but I just think Sixers are just more talented. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we've talked on it uh, so far. I mean... The the Cavaliers, LeBron hits the buzzer beater tonight, you know, classic, you know, all-time player move right there, just putting the game away, big-time block, big-time three. So it looks like um, they just need to win one of the next two games. Game seven will be at home for them if it gets to that point. Um, let's talk, let's project and say it's LeBron and the Cavaliers against the Toronto Raptors. Um, how confident are you that the Cavs, you know, they have some serious struggles, um, you know, with their ability to even get through the Pacers. How confident um, are either of you guys that the Cavaliers are going to make it through the Raptors. Yeah, I mean, it's. I would change the question. I mean, how confident are you in LeBron, right? It's yeah. not how confident are you in the Cavs, how confident are you in LeBron. LeBron is the team. I mean, we saw, you know, the stats from the other guys today are just not good. I mean, LeBron drops, what, 44 of their 98 tonight. So, I mean, he is he is the team. So, it's really going to be can other guys step up and make shots, which they're definitely going to have to do more of against the Raptors who have better offensive talent than the Pacers do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think in this series, just the Pacers don't really have anyone to guard LeBron. So I think when he runs into a team um, that's able to at least contend, um, him going to the basket and force him to become a jump shooter, um, hopefully like the Raptors will do in this next series. It's Hope- beyond- Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd hope that that would be their strategy is to try to prevent him um, you know, from getting in the paint. Um, it doesn't seem like the Pacers can do a good job of that. He's basically able to get his shot at will. Um, but if you're able to you know, force LeBron to become a jump shooter, although he was shot the ball um, really well from three this year, um, you're going to have to rely on those other guys. And those other guys really haven't shown up this series. Um, just inconsistency from every single game. Um, so, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if these other guys um, who have some talent, like Jeff Green, um, like Kevin Love, but again, just haven't performed well consistently, can step up. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're saying hopefully you want the Cavaliers to lose, which, I mean, I understand you don't like LeBron, but, you know, let's let's project forward and say if it's a Raptors 76ers Eastern Conference Finals, that's like an NBA TV caliber, <laughs> you know, Eastern Conference Finals playoff series. I mean, I think you gotta you got to imagine as, as kind of – you know, LeBron has been there so many times and as not great the rest of the Cavaliers team is, 
That's the series you want to see is the up-and-coming Philadelphia 76ers against LeBron James, you know, the the king of the Eastern Conference for sure, been there seven times in a row. You want to see, you know, especially a Philly team, they're definitely going to want their crack at LeBron to dethrone him in the East. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's got to be the series you at least want to see, even if, you know, you might think the the Raptors are going to knock him off. Yeah, I mean, obviously LeBron's the most captivating player in the league. So, I mean, and, you know, you got guys calling – Ben Simmons, you know, the prince coming in. So is this the po- possibility of a changing of the guard in the East? I mean, that's definitely a would be a big storyline in that series. But, yeah, I mean, obviously LeBron's going to, you know, sell more tickets, give better ratings to the networks. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, the uh, Cavs-Sixers is a TNT-caliber caliber <laughs> postseason series, not NBA TV. I think it will just finally be nice in the Eastern Conference to, find a, to have a competitive Eastern Conference Finals matchup. I don't think I've it's been really competitive since the Pacers and the Bulls back in. Pacers um, and Bulls? Oh, against the LeBron. Against, against LeBron, LeBron. yeah. yeah, yeah. But even those teams were never close. No, no never yeah. that close, but again, at least competitive. I don't think we've really seen it very competitive in, since then. Um, so it'll just be a little refreshing to... Um, have a good series in the East and, you know, at least test LeBron a little bit um, to see if he can make it through. Yeah, but I mean, just to push you on that, the reason why this would be a competitive series is more of a a lower quality of basketball. Like Mm -hmm. at at the end of the day, it's when LeBron was winning those series, you know, the the seven in a row that he currently, you know, the current streak he's on is because his team was like legitimately better than the other team. And so the reason why it would be competitive this year isn't because there's been a team that's elevated to what LeBron's prior teams have been. It's because LeBron's team, not because of him, but they've regressed without Kyrie Irving, just with a bunch of role players who haven't been able to step up. So, I mean, is that really a product you're more interested in seeing? Like, yes, the games might be closer, but the team that advances is, you know, ultimately going to be worse. Well, I just think it's usually so lopsided. Usually he has two of the other best five players in the league. And it's just usually just this um, matchup that you just know that LeBron and his team is always going to win. But you so get better I, finals it, out of it. You do, you do, um, usually. Um, although sometimes his team is sometimes usually not, just yeah. um, far worse than the Warriors or whoever team he's playing. Um, but, you know, I think in this series, yeah, you might be seeing a worse product but i just think the competitiveness um goes a longer way and i think you can get more viewers out of that yeah all right so let's shift it back to the western conference obviously the uh for the sixers to meet the Cavs, that's still several weeks away and a lot of unknowns uh in between now and then so we did not talk about the the rockets who are most likely moving on um after tonight's game against the timberwolves and then it looks like utah also will be moving on there um spencer i know you have you think that the jazz are might be able to surprise some people I think, man, the Jazz is my sleeper team in the West. I'm not saying they're going to get through Houston necessarily, but I would not be surprised. I'd actually be surprised if the Jazz don't push push the Rockets to six or seven. I mean, you look at their interior defense with Gobert um, and Derek Favors as well, being able to make things tough inside for Harden and Paul when they get into the paint area. Then you got Joe Ingles, an elite perimeter defender who's probably going to be matched up on Harden. Um, you know, the Jazz' best defensive team in the NBA. Can they make perimeter jump shots to keep themselves in the game? Donovan Mitchell's definitely stepped up. Obviously, gr- I mean, best postseason as a rookie since Magic. We were talking earlier. If you want to discount Simmons, I guess. But mm-hmm. even Mitchell, you know, he's the best mm-hmm. player on his team. So yep. And then Ingles, too. Second best three-point percentage in the regular season behind J.J. Redick. I mean, the Rockets cannot afford to leave him open. Then it's going to be other guys. Can Ricky Rubio have a similar type of series that he's had and get other people open? Yeah, a couple other things about the uh, the Jazz that you, you have to like is um, you know, you mentioned that they could push the Rockets to six or seven. Well, I think if they get it to that point, it's probably going seven because they probably have the best home court advantage um, in the NBA right now. I mean, 
you know, it's it's Utah's a little bit of altitude factor mm-hmm. there, um, and the fans are really into this team. I think you know the Gordon Hayward leaving and then the Donovan Mitchell coming in kind of galvanized them and, and really got them um, you know really into it. You see Mitt Romney courtside, <laughs> custom jersey on, you know, pointing pointing four fingers at Ross for for getting a foul. Like they're they're into it in, in Utah, which you know they, they they've had some good teams in the last mm-hmm. 10, 15 years, and they had Boozer and mm-hmm. um, who are some of the other guys on that team, Darren Williams, Darren of course. Williams. So like yeah, so they're they're back. And then the other thing, you know, Mitchell, who's a rookie, I don't think he was a one and done guy. So he's been, you know, he's been able to hold up better than you would think most most guys would who are rookies. But he's definitely got that swagger to him. Hasn't, you know, been afraid of Russell Westbrook. Neither has Rubio, who doesn't have any playoff experience until this year. So, you know, yeah, they have the guard play, which is critical against Houston. You have the interior presence, which is also ginormous defense, most likely defensive player of the year in Gobert. I mean, are the Rockets feeling threatened that they may not make it out? Probably not, but can the Jazz make things interesting? I, I think Absolutely. you're you're onto something there. What do you think? Yeah, and I think what's so special about the Jazz is they have such an elite defense. And in the playoffs, um, I think that's so much more important than having an elite offense because defense travels. Um, you know, they can play well at home. They can play well at away. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing with the Thunder is you have a very, you know, talented offensive team with the Thunder and a very talented defensive team with the Jazz. Um, and the Jazz just have every single game been able to perform consistently well in defense. Um, and, and that's been proven to um, test the Thunder, and I think that will uh, continue to test um, the Rockets in the second round. Yeah, and we talked about Ricky Rubio, too. I mean, Ricky Rubio is a plus defender, and, you know, mm-hmm. he's going to be matched up on Chris Paul. And like you said, Nick, I mean, the Jazz defense has just taken the Thunder out of all their sets. And if you watch the games, it's a lot of iso ball late in the clock with Carmelo on the mid-post touches. and <laughs> Not not the hardest team to do that against, but, but yeah, still. Not, I, not mean, the, I mean, a team with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. I mean, that's right. No, that's you're, a, that's but, a good team. But, but it, it, they're obviously talented, but if there's any team in these playoffs where you're like, we can force them into iso ball, it's, it's got to be OKC. I mean, they're, they're just not – they're not a team that's running – like, could you do – could the Jazz do – what they're doing to the Thunder, what against Boston, like pro- I mean, or against the Warriors, like obviously Boston, a team probably you know way less talent than OKC, obviously. But you would have to think that the Jazz are definitely aided by the fact that you know maybe it was hard to see initially, similar to the Pelicans against the Blazers. But I think at the end of the day, it was a good matchup for the Jazz, where they're really able to disrupt what an offensive team wants to do, force them into situations they don't want to be in, and then as you th- as you see throughout the course of you know four or five games, they're just able to to dominate them through and through. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is is it, it is a good matchup for them. And when you start running into a team like D'Antoni, who, you know, maybe there are playoff question marks against him, um, you know, is he, are they going to be able to disrupt the Rockets the same way that they've been able to, dis- to disrupt OKC? Yeah, and going back to even, you, you know, you mentioned making it easy for the Thunder to, you know, take, take a hero ball shots late in the clock. I mean, a lot. A large part of me believes that if you can make it difficult for the Rockets early in the game, that James Harden is going to do that. You're going to get what you want, which at the end of the day, I think what makes James Harden so difficult, yes, he can hit the step back three, but it's really him getting into the paint and creating for others, really, and getting Ariza open threes, Tucker open threes. I mean, that's what you don't want. I mean, you're going to live at the end of the day giving up contested step back threes to James Harden. And if you can do that, I think the Jazz can really be successful in this series. Well, I think if they can also create some dysfunction in the Rockets, the Rockets really haven't had a whole lot of, um, they haven't really been tested a whole lot. They've really been um, able to play in their comfort zone, play how they want, dictate the game. So it'll be interesting to see if the Jazz can kind of um, interrupt that mm-hmm. and you know make them take shots that they don't want to take and not let them get the pick and roll opportunities that they usually get. 
Um, so if they're not, if they're able to get thrown off their game a little bit, it'll be interesting to see if the Rockets can adapt. Um, just because they're such, they are a new team in terms of playing together with Chris Paul um, and some other additions. So um, I, I'm excited just to be uh, a competitive series, and we'll see if the Rockets have it. Yeah. Before we move on into some NFL talk, I think I, one parallel that I, I've noticed between probably the two most surprising teams in these playoffs being the Pelicans, who swept the Blazers, and the Jazz, who look like they're going to make it through the the Thunder pretty easily in five games, uh, maybe six if it goes to that, is that very, very good guard and wing defense with that one guy down low who just is an absolute stud rim protector. So you're talking about the guards we all know, Drew Holiday, Rondo for the Pels, and then we mentioned Ingles, a wing defender, Donovan Mitchell, Rubio for the Jazz, and then you have two of the elite rim protectors in the NBA, Anthony Davis for the Pelicans and Rudy Gobert for the Jazz, where you're looking at these this kind of style of a team, getting it done with defense, um, dominating a home court advantage, you know, the, in the Jazz's case, dropped game one, but when they came home, it wasn't even close. So I think that's kind of a formula we might see teams adapt to where if you can get, you know, that elite guy down low and you can supplement that with some elite guard defense, you can be a really difficult team to beat in today's NBA. Yeah, and also what's so special about, I think, about New Orleans is that, you know, right, we've seen this transition into teams really investing in guards. But when you have such a, um, a dominant big man like Anthony Davis, he creates so many matchup nightmares because usually the other team doesn't have a good big man. I mean, there aren't really that many really, really good big yeah. men's um, defensively and offensively. And so when you have someone like Anthony Davis – um, you know, who's just so special. I think he can create so many problems, and even versus a team like the Warriors. Yeah, and that's where the Pelicans have the advantage. The Jazz, obviously, Gobert is not an offensive, you know, stalwart. He's not yeah. a great offensive player, but, you know, on the flip side for them, they're getting, you know, Pelicans getting a lot from uh, Drew Holiday, but, I mean, the, the Jazz are getting, you know, incredible offensive performances from uh, Ingles, who's shooting well, and Rubio's playmaking, and then Donovan Mitchell's been stepping up. So you kind of see some different... Uh, things on offense there, but I think the defenses are, are similar. Yeah, and I think to me, even shifting to the Pels Warriors series, the key in that series to me is can Drew, how difficult can Drew Holiday make it for Clay Thompson? I mean, that's the, you definitely expect to see Holiday on Thompson. Obviously, he won that matchup with Lillard, a matchup that I didn't expect him to win. Can he have similar success against Thompson, really making it physical for him, making him put the ball on the deck and take tough twos? I think that's going to be paramount for the Pels to really have a chance against the Warriors. Yeah, and if we want to rebound uh, to the Warriors series real quick, Steph Curry, obviously, on the shelf. Don't really know when he's going to be back. If he'll be back in the middle of the series, maybe not at all. Um, you know, the big thing is for the Warriors, you know, they you have guys that you can throw out in Anthony Davis, but this is where Nick's talking about, you know, they have such a dominant big man in Anthony Davis. There is He might be the player in the NBA where there's just no answer for defensively where you're like there's there's no one where you can say all right we feel comfortable throwing you know this guy out and then we'll slow him down he's just six foot eleven he can stretch the floor he's athletic he can you know he can do all these things where yeah you may have defensive player of the year uh candidate or winner Draymond Green but you know you're giving up four or five inches there you may have six foot eleven six foot ten Kevin Durant, who's improved defensively, but do you really want to, you know, wear out KD on on defense there, or Iguodala, who's a little bit undersized? Like Anthony Davis is like the ultimate matchup nightmare, and that's where my concern would be for the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, early on in the Spurs series, you saw Javale McGee get the start, and he really made things difficult for Aldridge, especially in games one and two. Aldridge really struggled to find his touch in the post. Obviously, improved after that going back home, and I think he'll see some time on Davis as well as Draymond Green. What I will say that the Warriors should have confidence in that the Blazers did not do well is get physical with Anthony Davis. You have to you have to get up on him and make him feel your body. I mean I I mean you got Nurkic on him playing off in the paint. 
much easier for Anthony Davis to establish a rhythm. And if you can, you know, Nick mentioned getting the Rockets out of a rhythm, getting them, you know, trying to face more adversity. If you can do that for Anthony Davis and really make him uncomfortable when he catches the ball, I think that's the first step that the Warriors have to take. Yeah, I think another important factor, um, a surprising factor, is Rondo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a guy who in the regular season seems to just be an average point guard, maybe below average point guard, Come playoff time, you know, it's a different player. Two years in a row um, now. You know, two years in a row now, and he's in you know, did with the Celtics. Um, he's done in years past. So what is it with these types of players? Um, like, I think we've, you know, other examples like Ricky Rubio. I don't know how, I don't know how well he's playing during the regular season, but he seems like a, just a completely different player. Um, so what is it with these players? Do you think it's just a lack of effort, or do you think it's just these players are those type of players that just play really well in the playoffs? I think it's there's certain types of games that definitely translate better to the playoffs, or like the type of game shifts, obviously, where defense is going to be harder, so you're not just getting as many free open looks. So that helps. But I think with Rondo, it's just incredible because if he was healthy last year, they the Bulls, they could have beaten the Celtics. You know, If it happens one time, you know, it's, it's random, twice a coincidence, three times a trend. For him, this is looking like the trend with Rondo is scoop him up on a vet minimum contract, bring him in, and he's going to really be an engine that that helps your team. And I think what it comes down to for even a guy like LeBron who had a great regular season and you know just naturally will always do really well with statistically, but they they know Rondo, you know, a guy who's won a championship early in his career. They know what it takes in terms of preparation and effort. And I think you know for a guy like. Rondo, you know, he he can take it a little bit easier in the beginning of the season and see, project forward, like where that finish line is and how much effort he's going to give when. And I think, you know, it's not a coincidence that you see some of these veterans really kick it into high gear in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think if you look at, hey, what do Ricky Rubio and Rondo have in common is they're both ball distributors and good defenders at their position. And those are things that are going to be highly valued, especially come playoff time. Can you get other people involved? Because you really, I mean, it's going to be a team effort to, especially as you go forward in the playoffs and get deeper into the later rounds. And can you make it hard for opposing teams? I mean, I think those are the two most valuable characteristics of a point guard late. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, everyone seemed to be shifting towards, you know, shooting, shooting, mm-hmm. shooting. But, I mean, you see some of these guys, you know, with Curry and, and Clay, yeah. obviously they've had great success as fantastic shooters. But even Curry has had some postseason struggles. And then you see, you know, a Rondo and a Rubio, you know, with defensively and distributing, making a huge difference there. So kind of an interesting shift. So before we move on and talk about the NFL here, um, any changes to your finals predictions, who's playing, who's winning? I mean, I know we both had Warriors over Cavs. I think it's going to be the Sixers now. I I just don't think the Cavs have it, so I'll switch that there. Nick, if you want to offer up a uh, if you want to offer up a change of heart there, now you still think it's LeBron? Yeah, the thing is, I don't know if it's just LeBron. I think that the players around LeBron are going to start playing a little bit better. I think they've been playing far below what they normally are averaging. Yeah. You know. During the regular season, you know, some of the shots that they were um, usually hitting the regular season just not hitting the playoffs so far. So I think those players are going to start to play um, better. And if LeBron can continue his dominance um, on the offensive end, I think that they'll be able to overpower the Sixers just because of that lack of experience in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in the process, man. I had the Sixers going in and kind of seeing, especially when you look at the road that they would have to get to LeBron. I mean, the Bucks, Celtics, neither of those teams really worry me at the end of the day for the Sixers to get through. And Nick, you mentioned the Cavs, you know, supporting cast having to step up. I think the Sixers supporting cast outside of Embiid and Simmons, you look at Saric, J.J. Redick, um, and even Ilyasova, they're both they're all making plays, and that, that gives me confidence that uh, going forward the Sixers uh, can get through the Cavs and make it to the finals. Okay, yeah, no, I 
to me. I, I, I think the Sixers right now are just as good of a pick as uh as the Cavs. So and the way they're playing, I don't I don't know if LeBron's gonna be enough to, to get through. All right, so um of course big thing in the NFL coming up. Um, it'll be tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, is the NFL draft. A lot of intrigue going into it. Uh, the Browns, always the wild card of the draft, always seeming to have multiple picks at the top, especially their own pick is always at the top. Um, doesn't seem like they want to take Sam Darnold, which if you've been listening, you know I'm a big Sam Darnold guy. Seems like the guy who, who I would put my money on as the guy who's going to be able to help them break through. They don't do that. A lot of really interesting things happen. Um Darnold could go to the Giants, which would not be good for you know the NFC, which is already stacked conference. Um, at least in my opinion, maybe maybe it'll be a good thing for the NFC. Who knows? But uh, some of the other storylines, you know, just talking about which players you know you think are going to have a big impact. Spencer, big college football guy, you're probably more familiar with these players than the average. Is there any guy uh, you think that you know is going to go maybe towards the top, but can have that really big impact right away? Yeah, I think of a guy who's kind of lost some luster lately. Obviously, you know, being from Alabama, I'm an Alabama fan. But I will say Minka Fitzpatrick and the versatility that he brings to a defensive backfield, I think that is going to be very key and crucial for a lot of teams going forward. I mean, you're able to get Minka with the 10. I mean, even seeing him potentially fall to the Redskins and fall into their lap at 14. I mean, you got a guy who can cover tight ends, receivers, corner, can play the boundary, can play your nickel linebacker. I mean, I think his versatility is to be valued. And I know some teams are questioning, you know, where to put him, but I think he can really line up all over the field and be successful. Yeah, I mean, is there any anything else, any storylines, Nick, that you're looking forward to with this draft? Yeah, I'm really curious as to when Saquon Barkley is going to get picked. Um, you know, I've always been the believer that I don't really think you should draft a running back very, very high. I just think that there's an abundance of running backs, and you're not just as likely to find one in the fifth or sixth round, but there's a, a decent chance that you can find a good running back, and obviously, you know, it's been exemplified last year with Kamara. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Saints benefit a lot from that. But again, I just think that the Giants are in a situation, or whoever's, you know, going to end up uh, drafting Saquon, if it, you know, if he's going to draft in those top four, all those teams need QBs. Um, these QBs seem to be generational QBs, as this is one of the best draft classes um, in a very long time, you know, perhaps since like Luck and um, RG3, or, you know, perhaps earlier. Um, so I think this is the round, or this is the draft where you got to invest in QBs. Um, but it'll be interesting to see where he gets picked. Well, in fairness, if he were to go forth to Cleveland at that point, they are not yeah. technically a QB needy team anymore, right. um, even if people have thrown out the idea that they take two of the top four guys, which they will not do. Um, would they would not do if they're sane in any way. But yeah, I, I think Barkley's an interesting player because uh, we talked about with Spencer, you know, the immediate impact guy. Barkley's going to be the immediate impact sure. player. Maybe that one of the biggest. Is there impacts. any risk that he's a flop? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, do you think it depends on what situation he goes into? He's a running back. I mean, yeah. Sure. Obviously, if there's no offensive line, then it's not going to be on him. But I, I think there's. You know, everyone out there who evaluates these guys says he's the best running back prospect, like, I don't know, ever? Or since I mean, Adrian Peterson? Since Adrian Peterson, he's, you know, the highest rated prospect. Yeah, and, and we've seen guys like Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette have gone number four in back-to-back drafts, kind of the rebirth of the high-drafted running back. Obviously, McCaffrey went um, in the top ten last year as well. Maybe four is a landing spot for Barkley if the Browns want to take him there if he's available, or if someone wants to trade up for him. I think four could be a real, realistic spot to see running back go for the the third year in a row but I mean that is going to be a very interesting question in the draft because if he doesn't go number two to the Giants let's say that the Browns take Allen or Baker Mayfield um, and the Giants end up with Sam Darnold the Jets will take a quarterback 
at that point, there's a lot of teams that Barkley could go to because he's a guy, quite frankly, outside of, you know, these teams with elite running backs like the Rams and the Cowboys and, you know, the Cardinals, the Steelers, you know, the guys that are really elite and set in their spot. He's a guy that can come into any team and make a huge difference just because you don't need a three-down back. Um, so you can add him to your backfield and you can, you know, make him a three-down back. You can make him, you know, just mix him in however you want and he's going to be an awesome player. Yeah, I think one thing for me, and, you know, I was talking about this with Minka Fitzpatrick, is, I mean, the versatility that Barkley brings to your team. I mean, catching passes out of the backfield, even lining up in the slot. I mean, I think that's what really made Kamara such a success this year is, you know, being able to create mismatches with linebackers. And, you know, Barkley's going to be able to exploit those yeah. matchups as well. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, when you do have a running back of this caliber, you know, like we saw um, with Leonard Fournette last year, um, you know, a guy that can go in and just make a big, big impact. Um, the thing I think you have to evaluate in this draft is, you know, who's going to have in the next five, six years, who's going to have the biggest potential impact for my team? Is it going to be a running back with St. Juan Barkley or is it going to be QB? Is it going to be, you know, perhaps a defensive player? Um, and in your minds, can a running back really make up that difference like these other guys can? It's interesting. I, I mean, I would say, you know, you go back to the Cowboys um, two years ago when Ezekiel Elliott was a rookie. I think, you know, Dak Prescott also came in as a rookie and played well, but you'd have to give a ton of credit to what Zeke was able to bring to that offense. Obviously, a good offensive line. The best offensive line. But, but, but it's improved every year that a good running back who just. But when Zeke was out, but line. when Zeke was out this year, they were way worse. I mean, they, you know, they were, they couldn't score when he was suspended and they were. Going into his suspension, they were hot. They had blown out, you know, a couple teams. They had beaten the Chiefs at home, you know, to get back into the thick of things. He goes out, you know, they didn't, they scored like one touchdown over a three week period. So you see a guy like that just completely can change the dynamic of your offense. Um, I think, and if you do get that generational guy, which, you know, the Cowboys, you know, they weren't going to pass up what they considered a Hall of Fame talent in Ezekiel Elliott when they were picking fourth, usually don't pick that high. If that's what you think you're getting, you know, and a running back's probably the most sure position to draft. I mean, it's not the worst pick you can have. I mean, the thing that you have to like about Barkley is just his high floor. And you know that you're going to get production out of him. Um, but, I, Nick, to your point, I mean, if you really like a quarterback and that you think he can be that guy who can lead you to the Super Bowl, I mean, you got to take the quarterback over the running back. I would agree with you there. Yeah, and I mean, that's for sure. And you, we see a team um, that's very likely to try their best to – give the house, you know, for a quarterback is the Buffalo Bills mm -hmm. sitting there at pick number 12. And I think they also have pick number 22. You know, they're going to try and move up and get a quarterback. And, you know, obviously, you know, they're the last thing on their mind is getting a high impact running back first, you know, in the first round. But the amount of draft capital that it's going to cost them to move up to get that quarterback, you know, we see, we've seen teams do it. The Rams did it with Goff. The Eagles did it with Carson Wentz. And it's paid off even in the short term for some of those teams. But if you go up and get that quarterback, even if you think he's that guy, you know, if you're not putting a good team around him initially, you know, you, you could really, you know, struggle and have him struggle in his development. Then, of course, if it's not the guy, then you're really setting yourself back, too. Yeah, I think if we're going to examine the Bills case, I think that they've put themselves in a decent position to where if they want to move up, they're not going to bring in a rookie quarterback and say, hey, here's the keys to the car, and you're starting from day one. You know, they went in and get A.J. McCarron in free agency. I'm not saying A.J. McCarron is going to be a franchise quarterback there, but he is definitely somebody who can be a transitional period quarterback as they prepare for the next guy to come in. Yeah, but, you know, the, the big thing is for them is, you know, we're talking about how much of an impact a guy's going to have. And, you know, if you go up and get that guy, even if you can ease him in, if he's not that guy, you know, if he's Ryan Tannehill or, or worse, you know, someone who's not 
going to elevate you to the next level, to the playoffs, winning playoff games, and you've traded all that draft capital to an already not strong roster, like that can be detrimental too. As much as you want to take that quarterback who has the potential to make you consistently good, it can really be a detriment to the future of your franchise yeah, too. Yeah, that's no new question. Right. Again, right. I mean, that's that's always going to be the question. Right. I mean, so, if he pans out, yeah, I mean, you made obviously the yeah. right decision. I mean, yeah, that- but, but, you know, the thing is, do you, would a team, you know, consider like the Broncos, like they have Case Keenum, but do we want to, you know, bolster, you know, our roster with another guy? Or do we want to, you know, take a risk on a quarterback at five? I mean, that they wouldn't have to spend the draft capital. But, you know, it's just kind of that interesting dilemma there. Obviously, if you like the guy at quarterback, you're going to take him because that helps you. But speaking of quarterbacks and teams that need them, a really interesting team that's always interesting and, and uh, popular is the New England Patriots. Sitting there with two first-round picks, 23 and 31. Um, obviously, there's been rumored, uh, just you know, some just you know, rumblings of the organization that things aren't going so swimmingly right now. Brady, obviously, into his 40s, still playing at an elite level. But do you do you see the Patriots as a team that might want to move up or just take a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I think they're in a delicate situation. Um, I think, um, you know, Tom Brady, right, getting to that old age, you're not you're not quite sure when that year of regression is going to happen. I think. You know, any year you have to be expecting that. Um, I think Bill Belichick is going to be at that forefront of wanting to get another quarterback. Um, It'll be interesting to see, you know, who he takes. I guess in those spots and those ranges, maybe Lamar Jackson. Or they can trade up to. Or they can trade up. um, You know how? You know, if there's a team that can benefit from trading down, which team is that? Um, like for Bills or for Pages that wants to trade up? Well, for the Bills, it would be the Colts at six. Colts already rumored mm-hmm. to want to trade uh, trade down. They've already traded down once with the Jets. Um, for the Patriots, you'd probably be looking to move up to, you know, maybe the 13, 14, 15 range. So the teams in there is kind of like the uh, the Redskins, I know, are 13. The Cardinals might be looking at Lamar Jackson themselves at number 15. Uh, you're looking at the Chargers, who also could be looking for a quarterback of the future. Um, so, I mean, it, it might be difficult for them. But, you know, the good thing for the Pats is, through the Brandon Cooks trade, they do have that draft ammunition where, you know, it, it might be time for them to, you know, they had Garoppolo, but now Garoppolo's gone, obviously. Brady's, you know, four years older than he was when they drafted Jimmy G. Um, you know, now might be the time for them to go out and get a guy that is the true heir to Tom Brady. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how, like, stingy teams are with their picks in terms of how much they're valuing them um, and how much they're going to make teams give up to get to those top spots, to get those QBs. I think they know um, how valuable this draft class is. So, you know, if you're a Colts, you know, how much are you going to demand to get up to that five spot? Um, you know, is it going to be two first-rounders? I don't exactly know um, what valuation they're going to make about that, but I mean, I'm guessing it's going to be extremely pricey, especially this year. Yeah, whenever you're moving up for that quarterback, it's always throwing an extra first-round price tag on there they they make it real expensive for you because these teams know it's you know this is a guy that ultimately is going to be determining the future of your franchise um so they they don't they don't they don't take anything less than a king's ransom with that it's like two first rounds from uh, patriots um in the slots that they have to move up to 12 and 13 is that enough i would think maybe i i think maybe to get up to like a 13 i i don't know there's i'm sure those teams in that range are very, you know, prepared on that. I think for the Bills to move up from 12 to 6 is going to require, you know, at least pick 22 and probably more than that, you know. And then the Bills may even have to move up a second time uh, to get a quarterback they want, whether it's up to 2 or 4 or 5. You, you really don't know. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a pricey uh pricey thing to do to get that guy but as you saw you know with the Eagles and Rams in particular recently uh, if you get that right guy you know it can really pay off mm-hmm. all right so I think that will uh, wrap it up for the draft uh, so yes uh, we don't know if we'll be back next week we'll, we'll be taking finals but regardless um, 
you know, sports keeps going on. So it's good stuff. We'll probably be coming back with some NBA stuff. So thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening.